Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a band leader, composer, trumpet player from New Haven, Connecticut, Nick DiMaria. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Nick DiMaria with us. Probably one of the only doing? times I get the name correct. because That's him just okay. Before. I'm very used to it. Very used to it. So, tell us about yourself, man. Where are you based and everything? Uh, well, I'm a trumpet player based in New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, I'm a school teacher. I'm a musician. I'm a uh, concert organizer podcaster <laughs> as we were saying before right before we started and uh a, a lover of a lot of nerdy stuff and that's pretty that pretty much sums me up uh, there's a lot we could go into on that but first <laughs> <laughs> what's it called the funny thing about how i even found out about you sure was that i was jamming with my friend at to the go-go penguins and then he played your thing and i'm like what is this? And of course he says New Haven Underground. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay. I never heard of this. <laughs> it is right near me. I felt stupid, like always. But no, man, it's impressive. I like it. Thank you. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. What what did what did your friend play of mine? Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Uh, it's a sad. I should have had that right pulled up for you. Uh, I'll tell oh, you right, right now because I was listening to it. Uh, Afterthought. Afterthought? Yes. Oh, cool. Um, which which version? The live one or no, not the live one. Not the live one. Yes. Okay. So the uh okay, okay. The one I believe wow, on the 2015 album. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of a deep cut at this point. That album feels like it was recorded just last week, but it's uh I keep telling the guys who who are on it, like, <laughs> no, that album is old now. Uh, no, I, I thank you very much for uh you know, reach now, check in, checking out the music. Um, uh, that, you know, really honored to be on your show and oh, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Uh, on and, but, yeah, yeah, man. But um, the New Haven jazz. Oh, oh cool. The, the New Haven jazz underground is an organization. Uh, I, I direct and founded, if you will, I can get into that now, or if you have other, you know, I don't know where I you mean, you're start, on it. Just so. go. We're going to do the other stuff. So we'll just go. Go. Go okay. On, so, um, I'm the director and, uh, founder of the New Haven jazz underground, and um, basically, it's just a grassroots organization that uh, promotes jazz in New Haven and New Haven, Connecticut, and pretty much just Connecticut in general, Southern Connecticut. Um, it was uh, kind of born out of like a necessity to uh, create a vibrant scene and to kind of keep a pipeline going from younger musicians to to other generations of musicians and to kind of unite local businesses and, and, and basically just make it viable to play jazz, you know, in this area um, as a means to promote the, the, the music. So it, it's really just kind of like there's nothing really fancy about it. It's mostly just me, even though I, I, I talk about it in the, the second person, third person sometimes. Um, but I do have, I do have, uh, colleagues and musicians who have helped me, um, you know, uh, put on various events. We do a lot of jam sessions. We've done a lot of concerts. Uh, we started in 2019 and, uh, 
there I go saying we, <laughs> but, um, but we, uh, uh, we, we put on a festival in June of 2019. We would have put on a festival in 2020, but for obvious reasons we didn't. Mm -hmm. So we're actually gearing up. Um, I'm putting together a committee right now to put together a, um, uh, jazz festival for 21. Uh, we call it the new Haven jazz party. Um, Wait, in actually, 21? In, uh, I'm sorry, 22. Oh, okay. It could have been I, man. A few weeks. No, no. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's one of those things where I was just talking to somebody and they were like, I still think it's 2020 because like that year just didn't happen. So I'm just like still two years ago at this point. But no, uh, in 2022, we're going to try to put on another festival. Um, and I was saying uh, we're not allowed to call it the New Haven Jazz Festival. That word is that that um, that is actually copyrighted by another organization. So we call it the Jazz Party. It sounds cooler. Understood. OK. Yeah. So what is the music? Based off, I should say. Is it straight ahead? Is it kind of underground ska electronic fusion like yours? What is it like? Uh, the underground? Yeah. The, no, I mean the okay, festival. So, is it going to have all that? Oh, the festival. Oh man. So we um we do uh everything. So like uh when we put it on in 2019, we had like a week. We had um a bunch of straight ahead performances. We had uh, a night completely devoted to fusion which was really cool. Um, and then we uh, incorporated an avant-garde night. New Haven has like deep roots in the avant-garde and free jazz. Um, and uh, I can get into that in a second. No, I know um, some free jazz people over there. Sure. Yeah, it goes, I mean, it goes way back. Anthony Braxton without a Leo Smith, like, man, it, that was like one of the biggest awakenings I ever had uh, as a younger musician was finding out that like all these like free cats were working in new haven like creating a loft scene basically so there's a deep rooted uh free jazz free um, improv experimental whatever you want to call it uh scene in new haven so basically the idea is the same like we would have uh, you know maybe a four or five night run um you know various genres would be presented on different nights sometimes they were at the same time which was cool because we were having like you know you can go check out another show after one just ended and uh in 2019 we brought in um uh Ari Honig came up to play so you know we try to bring in some acts from New York and and you know try to keep a, a steady diet of local groups with um you know out of town acts so we try to do it all and that's good that you have a festival for the local people especially since it helps the youth get more into it I just wish yeah. you had less free jazz because my thing on free jazz is like come on people really don't seem to want to hear that or Go ahead. It's a, Go ahead. No, no. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> you know, every uh, uh, to each is uh, their own, as as I always say. I um, yeah. I mean, sometimes it could be challenging to listen to. It depends. You know, it could. Be, but it's like any other art form. You know, I think you have to just kind of dive in deep, and uh, and uh, you know, really open up yourself to it. And you you know, you never know what you might like. Plus, what a lot of people don't understand is there's various levels of what they call like the avant-garde and from what i've noticed you know there's like you know it, there's there's a whole spectrum from like completely crazy shit to stuff that's a little bit more conservative or maybe traditional we'll say this guy's but, trying man, to trigger was, me this guy's trying to trigger me <laughs> I'm, well i'm telling all i'm all i'm saying is i was at a i was at a uh a, a, you know i you know i don't even know what you want to call it, a free show uh free jam show whatever it was 
packed. It was, I was so envious. I was like, man, I want to get these kind of crowds. Uh, so, you know, they, okay. you know, you have it, they will come. Oh, you really want me to go into that, but we're not going to pick up free jazz today. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, any other time, let me know. I'd be happy to talk about it. Okay. But that's good, man. Uh, sure. But what is the scene like in general? Or is it mainly youth? Is it mainly older people? What is it? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's both, you know, I mean, we've, we're, we're lucky up here. We've got, uh, a, a couple of really great schools that, uh, you know, we have the hard school in Hartford, mm-hmm. we have Western Connecticut state university, which is where I'm from. And the great Jimmy green teaches there along with some excellent staff. And, um, so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of music students in state, which is great because it keeps this like steady stream of talent coming in and coming up. And then we have a lot of great established uh, musicians who still make Connecticut their home. And, and then also like plenty of musicians who work in New York live, live around here. So I won't, I won't put anyone, I won't call anyone out by name, but like there's, there's definitely um, the full, the full spectrum, the full palette of, of talent uh, in this area, which is awesome. And kind of the point of the underground is to bridge these generations together. Um, I'm trying to, you know, one of my goals is to create an environment where like the older know the younger vice versa and they interact with each other. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and what's really cool is you get, you get some of the professors from heart, like the great Steve Davis, the trombonist, He'll show up to events and jams and hang and he'll hang on podcast. This guy was class. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) I listened to him uh, on on your podcast actually, uh-huh. and um, uh, he he's great, and and you know he'll show up, man. It's it's so we have a lot of very personable, uh, 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 you know, established musicians or elders that will um, you know share their time, which is great. So just the underground tries to on a musician level tries to connect that kind of thing. Well, that's great, and that's great. He comes down, and that's one thing I did thank him for because if you look at his past albums it was pretty much all people under 35 playing with him which is yeah. good. It gives them the exposure it gives them the opportunity to play with a veteran so i love your project so far even though there's one little thing we don't seem to like about that but no that's good so where do you actually teach i'm i'm a i'm a new haven school teacher oh. so i teach music yeah i'm um I'm, I'm a mild, I, I live that like Clark Kent lifestyle. I, uh, I'm a mild mannered teacher by day. And then I, uh, put on my cape and go play gigs at night. Okay. So I could honestly say, doesn't that get tiring? Yeah, it does. But you know, like, you, you know, when I've, I've been, I've been teaching for 15 years and, uh, one thing that I always make sure I remind myself if I'm, I'm a, you know, if I'm feeling a little bogged down by the, by the job, I'm paid to play music. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of the day, the bottom line is I make a living playing music and it feeds my creative side. It feeds my musician side and it keeps me grounded. You know, sometimes we get so bogged up, jazz musicians get so bogged up in, 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 you know, what is music and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes you forget that music for most people is just having fun and being joyful about it. And so I'll take time to reflect on that. So, you know, like, like anybody, like anybody who's a teacher, like you got those kids that make you want to bang your head against the wall. I've had plenty of them throughout the years. What's the age range? 
Uh, I teach I teach kindergarten through eighth grade. Ouch. So uh, yeah, so I got I got a whole. It, man, it's actually really fun. Like you know, it's funny. People, you know, yeah, like <laughs> I'll get I'll get that reaction. And it, yeah, I, I I've got my tough days, but like I said, it, it really does keep you grounded. And I I believe I'm a firm believer in balance, and it really really keeps me uh, uh, grounded. You know, it, it it not only keeps it. You know, to get into the nitty gritty, it's taught me how to be really good at uh, prioritizing my time because I don't have all day to shed. So, you know, I come home from teaching school. I got to get my stuff done and I get it done. Okay, so it's, it's taught me a lot of discipline. For since myself. they're younger kids in general, sure. they don't seem to listen to jazz on a daily basis unless they're in your class or going to your lessons, etc. Yeah. So how does that affect the way you teach? Does that affect the way they play? Do you actually see them continuing this art form after high school? Uh, so I don't focus like I don't I don't think of it as like, oh, guys, I'm, we're going to learn jazz today. You know what I do is, you know, the art of improvising. It doesn't matter how old you are and it doesn't matter uh, your experience. You know, what's the cliche? Like, if you can have a conversation, you, you can improvise. It, it, it's true. So say I got like a bunch of second graders. I might teach them a couple of simple rhythms. And then we might play uh, a beat in a circle. Or maybe I've, I, I pre-make a lot of stuff for my classes. So I'll make like trap beats for like our songs. Or, you know, I'll put together some samba tracks for, for some rhythm exercises and stuff like that. But like, I can teach them a couple of rhythms and that's vocabulary. So actually trap you know, jazz. Oh yeah, for sure. No, no, I I, I love uh, <laughs> my favorite thing in the world. Especially after working remote. I mean, you laugh, but it's like I'll take like all the songs I would teach the kids where I'm playing piano and we're, and we're doing like Kodai and Gordon and all this, you know, mm -hmm. all this traditional stuff. Man, I started moving that stuff to to um garage band. And not only do I have the keyboard part, now I'm adding bass, I'm adding guitar, I'm adding beats. And some of these tunes that are like a hundred years old at this point, some even older, you make them sound a little bit more modern. You, you get the kid to tune in, you know, it makes it sound like something they've heard on the radio. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, the bottom line is to not only learn how to enjoy music and experience it, but how to read it, how to write it, how to perform it. And that's really most important, you know? So yeah, most of my kids, you know, do not become musicians, but a lot of them get to experience it for the eight or nine years they're with me. And uh, they, have, they have an opportunity to join the school band or do band like, you know, in high school and stuff. So, I mean, I know there are kids who have continued their musical journey and have started with me. So, you know, it's, you do your little part there. You know, I think, I think sometimes people think if you're not teaching college, no, 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 no. I didn't legit. say that at all. No, no. I know you didn't. I know. Cause I know you didn't. College can like, be a pain in the. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. But what, but what I'm trying to say is like, sometimes there's this inclination maybe that if you're not teaching the highest level, that it's not legitimate or something. And it's like, no, nah, man, the simple stuff, nah. that's where you plant the seed. You know, so, you, you you know, all of our heroes started somewhere. So. Okay, Ben, how about my, this? That's then? my soapbox. So I want to think I need to ask on that. Yeah, I know. Sure. Y'all just soapbox preach it out. <laughs> so 
during the lockdown and everything, and this is good because I never even got to ask anyone this, and you were actually yeah. a teacher. Yeah. You were doing this all from Zoom and everything. How the how did you make that work? Or was it just horrible, like falling apart yeah. every day? So um, you know, jazz music, like I think if you if you want to be like a successful, you know, uh musician, you gotta learn all the tricks, right? So I make my own flyers. I design my own albums. I'm, I'm in the booth, you know, when we're recording and mixing albums and stuff. Like I've learned it all. And as a, especially as an arts teacher, you got to be on top of your game. You know, like everything evolves very quickly, uh, you know, especially these days. So I was lucky that I was already a little techie to begin with. And what I found out was, I would have, you know, I'd have a class. It, it, it'd be on Google Classrooms. It would be like Zoom. You know, mm -hmm. I've got like 25 little squares, you know, of kids staring at me. And I noticed that I wasn't really good at like playing or performing in that setting. So what I learned to do was I started taking the songs I teach the kids and um, I would uh, put them in a band, uh, not band camp, garage band and arrange them. And then I would video myself uh, making, like doing the lesson. So in a way, I was just playing a video when I had the kids in the Zoom. But what they were seeing was a pre-recorded lesson of what it was like if they were in front of me. So I learned, you know, I create. I had a school YouTube channel and uh, that's how I was able to be a little bit more successful. So, and now I got all these like educational videos under my belt, which is really helpful. So now like, if I'm out one day, they could just, that's my sub plans. Or if my voice is almost dead, you know, like right now I'm getting ready for a holiday concert, I could put those on and they're still getting instruction. Oh, so I know anyone with a kid, luckily I don't have any right now, going to the holiday concert is always one of those. Yeah. Yeah. That's an experience. Trying to sure. be more positive. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's just, you know, but, but teaching, that's just the, that's one of the many hats that, you know, that, that I have. And, uh, I'm, you know, like I was saying, it, it has taught me time management. So I'm able to do a bunch of other things um, because I know that there's a huge chunk of time in the middle of the day where I can't do maybe what I want to do. Um, but, you know, it keeps me focused. So I am pretty grateful. It's, it's a tough job, but I do enjoy it. So, and it's kept me, like I was saying before, it's kept me grounded. Okay, so next thing on that that we're going to have to ask. Sure. Your opinion of the Connecticut scene or the New Haven scene versus the New York scene. What do you like about the Connecticut scene more? Um, man, that's like a really loaded question. For, well, you know, it's a simple question, but like with a really loaded answer. So as long as you don't mind me giving like the full response, I'd be happy to. <laughs> I'd be happy to share. Go, go, um, go. I mean, so, you know, I'm born and bred Connecticut. I've got a lot of roots in, in, in New Haven, a lot of, um, you know, family uh, roots in New Haven and, and, and in Connecticut in general. And, you know, I, my mentor is Dr. Eddie Henderson, the great trumpet player. And a lot of people don't realize that the doctor and the Dr. Eddie is in uh, medicine and he worked as a, I believe a psychiatrist or psychologist, I can't remember which. And uh, 
he really bestowed it, you know, in me that like, it's, oh, you know, you are a musician, you are a professional, even if you're not doing it, quote unquote, all the time. And uh, so he was a huge influence on me. And when I got out of school. How did you meet him, though? Oh, man, I met him completely by chance. It's so weird. Uh, I happened to buy Herbie Hancock's album Sextant about a week before Eddie was a clinician at my college. And so he was doing a clinic and I walked up to him and I, and I was like, are you the same guy? <laughs> because uh, on the record, I think the doctor is not put on there. And he said, yep. And I had fallen in love with that music kind of in a way where I was unsure of how to uh, understand it slash I couldn't stop listening to it. Hmm. And from there, and, and I asked if I could take a lesson with him. And so I went to his house in Monmaronek, New York, and uh, that's where it started. And and I still consider him my teacher. Uh, I always studied with him privately. And uh, most of my musical uh, approach is based on uh, what Eddie taught me. And, uh, you know, kind of the uh, the musical approach of, of the M1DG band, which was which was. Uh, he was a part of with Herbie Hancock in the early seventies. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was kind of, he's kind of been my guru. So um, I kind of learned it's man, there's just so much. Like I got out of school when the recession hit too, there were like no gigs, you know, a buddy of mine had got diagnosed with a disease right when we were graduating that really kind of like made me think like, Oh, you know, this is like before like Bush was still president, man. So it's like, I was like, Oh, I need to like think about my health, my my well-being. Me, you know, I like teaching. Maybe I'll go into maybe I'll be a teacher because at the same time I'm like Eddie was a psychiatrist and he played with our Blakey. So what's the point? What's the problem? So I I kind of stayed towards I kind of stayed a little bit a little bit closer to home. And uh what happened was it didn't matter where I was living because I was playing in New York. I was playing in Connecticut and it, it really didn't make a difference to me. And uh, I even had a residency for three years in the Lower East Side, but I was living in New Haven. So it, 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 it didn't matter to me. There was a, there, there was no uh, bridge, I guess, you know. And um, I mean, the thing is, is like, you know, you're asking what's the difference between the scenes. It's like, well, New York's the Mecca, you know, New York's New York. You're never going to beat that. But what I've always believed in is that other cities have jazz history too. New Haven has an incredible history with jazz. A lot of people don't know, but Horace Silver was a rip. He, he grew up in, I, he might be the most famous, but like he grew up in Norwalk, Connecticut, which is about, you know, 40 minutes away heading towards New York. But he played in all the New Haven clubs, you know, when, when, you know, uh, if somebody of prestige was coming through town, he would back them up or he'd be in the band or he'd be leading the band himself. So, you know, there was a time where other cities had these vibrant scenes and I feel like a lot of cities still do. I think they're just kind of overlooked a lot of the time. So I always just wanted to invest in my own community. I, I believe in, a, in that pretty hard. So, um, I just figured, you know, there's, if you want to play in New York, go play in New York. If you want to play in Connecticut, go play in Connecticut. You could do both. So, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of great players who, who do both, you know, I know I'm a little, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm, uh, I'm thinking about like 
the great Jonathan Barber, the drummer, you know, he's, he's, his, his identity, you know, he, he's like, he's like Hartford's own, right? Man, he's, he's playing in both, you know, the great Matt Dwanzik. You can catch him at Smalls. You can catch him at a club uh, up the road from me. So it's just like, it just, it, it became kind of, um, I don't know, in, like nebulous, like, like formless. Like it's, it's not like a thing. Okay. So you don't worry in about that. I, I don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then like, like, again, like I was saying, like there's plenty of musicians who are quote unquote New York musicians and they're not living in New York. So it's just a like a good amount of them. Yeah. I'm not so going like, to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. But yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody or like, you know, the, the, um, the seriousness of like going to New York to like establish yourself. That's not the problem at all. I, I read an article. I got to find it actually, but it was written by the great saxophonist, David Binney. And he taught, and, it, and it's like, it's about not living in New York, but still being an, uh, uh, an established jazz musician. I got to find it. It's a great article. And um, between him, Eddie uh, and Dave, and Dave got King, another the trigger point. establish a jazz musician. So you're talking about he actually made a living. Who? No. Is the article talking about actually being able to make a living playing jazz? Or is it um, talking about yeah. just being able to be in the scene? I think it's both. I, it's been a while since I read it. I, okay. I will. Okay. I'll, I'll, I got to dig it up and I'll be happy to yeah, send it over your way. And then the great drummer Dave King from the Bad Plus. He lives in Minneapolis. He talks about this stuff all the time. He's like, yeah, I love New York, but I also want a yard. You know, and I'm, I'm and, and when he said that, I kind of like that hit pretty good with me because same, <laughs> you know, like I love the city, but I also love my little uh, slice of heaven. I got back here. So understood. Pretty, understood. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so academic versus the real world. Uh, what do you mean? Like college, the college, college experience? when you're teaching versus sure. it, what have you noticed or what oh, were you expecting? This is going to get me in big trouble. No, uh, be honest. No. So, so, in my position, I, 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 I have the pleasure of working with some of some of the best musicians I've ever met. And, you know, there's a couple of players I've worked with over the years. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I just feel very lucky that like they they kind of have a similar mindset. They and they and they kind of stay a little bit more local. And we've been playing together for years and they're they're killers, man. I, I went to college with some like real real solid musicians and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but what I've noticed, I, I, I wish colleges took time to teach professionalism. And I feel like, I feel like this is going to get me in trouble. I feel like someone's going to get pissed off at me for saying this, but it's like, man, yeah, know your tunes, know your scales, know your chords, know how to solo, but man, like, know how to show up on time, <laughs> you know, like know, know how to be prepared. And, and, and I remember when I was at, when I was at Westcon, we had a professor, mm -hmm. the, the great Dr. Dan Goble. And he once we were, we were in a, we were in a big masterclass to the whole department. And he goes, look to your left, look to your right. And he goes, any, you know, any one of these people might be your boss one day and they'll remember your canter here and your demeanor here when they consider hiring you in the future and in, in, in school back, like at, at that time at, at Westcon, they, they really hammered two things that I thought 
that I didn't realize how important they were until, until about now, basically is uh, how you conducted yourself and what, what it meant to be a professional and, uh, and the love of the music. I mean, they really, really hammered, like, do you want to play to be rich and famous or do you want to make art? Do you want to make music? And I feel like a lot of, I don't know. I feel like a lot of students that I interact with, they, they have this like disappointed vibe going on. And, and I, I just wonder where that's not being helped basically. And the teacher and me, you know, I want to help them and guide them and give them some advice. Disappointed so. how? Uh, it's just like, you know, oh man. I they, mean, they want to be Beyonce famous with a trumpet. But they, you know, whether they want the, uh, they want the big crowds or like they get upset if like, uh, maybe a tune doesn't go the way they want. Or, um, I, it's, it's fun. It's like, there's these, these preconceived notions of what it is to be, what the hustle is versus what it really is, you know? And, uh, that's, that's all I know. I'm speaking a little cryptic, a little cryptically, but you know, uh, that's just my own experience. I mean, you gotta, you know, my experience has been, you gotta really, really love this music. You gotta be in love with it. And, and, but, at the same time, you got to know that there are things that are so important to be able to thrive doing this music, you know, and a lot of that I think is based in a lot of professionalist professional behavior in a way. I don't know. Did that answer your question? No, that's good. But what would you tell somebody getting into the music world or going into it? Uh, I would say take every gig offered to you. Um, especially, I mean, if you're right out of school, yeah. Play no, no, I agree my, with you. Is this? Yeah, I yeah. know so many people no, no. who won't do it. I, I, it's, I mean, it's beneath me, man. Nah, can't do that. No, it's not enough that, pay, see man. That, yeah, <laughs> see that that I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Because again, the reason why you're playing music should be that you love music. I really don't think that's a jazz thing. I think that's a musician thing. Like you, you need to love what you're doing, man. Because this music is beautiful and very, very fulfilling. But the hits come with it. You know, you'll have people treat you like, I don't know if I could swear in your podcast. Just go so, ahead. You know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. People, you know, you'll get some shitty things done to you. You know, like disrespect from audiences or, you know, a club owner being a dick or something. You know, like, you, you know, you got to know that like both, both are there. You know, but I would say no gig is beneath you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I'm in a position where I work, I will hire college kids if I can't get, you know, um, you know, if my basis is unavailable because he's got something going on or whatever, I, I, I'll hire a kid in college. That's cool. Just my whole thing is you come on time, you come ready to play, you know, the tunes, you know, the ba- it sounds stupid because it sounds so basic, well, but that, but you'd be surprisingly, surprised. The college ones that I've hired in the past actually yeah. looked over the charts the day before and all that stuff. It's more the veteran ones that are on that whole I wing it. Oh, sure, sure. Uh it depends. I feel like I feel like I can't I can't um only say one one kind of musician does one versus the other. I shouldn't I'm uh I shouldn't say that or imply that because that's not true. But I have, you know, 
I have worked with cats where it's like, Ooh, I'm not going to hire you anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, I like understand you, that. you know, and, and it's like, and here's the thing, like, I'm not, I'm not going to get into it with you. I'm not going to like, I'm just gonna be like, okay, that's cool. That's, that's your, you know, that's your vibe. And, and I'm going this way. So Dude, I was recording good once. Good, good luck to you. And I hired, I'm not going to say the instrument, but I hired someone to do it. It wasn't a jazz album. So you're not going to guess it, but fair enough. The guy, was literally streaming CNN while we were going over the notes and the chord changes and all that stuff. And yeah, myself and the piano player just looked at each other and we're just like, yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I mean, I, I would say take every job available to you and then over a course of time, decide what work you don't like taking. And then, you know, I mean, and you have then the you can, yes, right, right. Like, so for, for instance, I personally dislike playing musicals. I, I have played a couple. I never enjoyed it. Um, you know, as a trumpet player, I don't like sitting around for long periods of time and then having to hit like really high notes or something, you know, kind of out of the blue almost. So man, like, but I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, when somebody offers me a musical job, I don't say no, or I, I'm not, I'm not disrespectful about it. Basically, I say, you know, you'd be better off calling so and so. They would, they would be a better choice for this gig. There's, you, I feel like you learn those kind of things uh, from the beginning. But, you know, certainly the faster you learn them, the better off you will be. But you, you know, the biggest lesson is you got to be ready to sacrifice everything. You know, you need, you need to, and throw yourself. You get, you got to dive in head first. You know, and especially leading. Like I had a lead right away. I I had no grace period um, to be a side man. Yeah. And that's kind of and that's kind of the time in which I I came up. So like I was saying, I I got out of school right when the recession hit. So if there were gigs, it was like very, rhythm very sections. Little. Yeah. Yeah, it was rhythm sections. They weren't gonna hire horn players because the gig probably barely paid. I remember some of my first gigs. Um, I, you know, I was paid in pizza. I was paid in, you know, uh, I was paid in sandwiches and stuff and like maybe 20 bucks. And people are like, oh, how could, you know, how could you disrespect yourself like that? It's like, well, you got to remember clubs were closing like left and right back then. I mean, they're so still closing were, left and right. Right, right. I mean, it's very similar to what's going on now in, in, in some ways. But I remember 2008, 9, even 10, man, like there were there were um, there were uh, only a few places that that paid you. If you wanted to play it, pl- plenty of places would have you and, you know, you just have the tip jar out. But, you know, I knew that I was younger back then. And so I was more apt to be like, OK, you know, I'll do the tip gig. That's cool. You know, I worked with guys who understood, you know, we'll do it. And then and then we try to get like the paying gigs. But we were competing with like the veterans and the veterans are telling the 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 you know, club owners like don't hire these kids. These these are kids. We're professionals. So, you know, you had to fight through that. And uh, you, so you had to be like really uh, mindful of like where you were, what you were learning, who you were connecting with and just being a professional. Like that's been, that's been my theme. My whole career is like be professional and, uh, and the doors will open. And I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm living that. So what do people misunderstand about the music world in general? Uh, What do people misunderstand about it? Um, I think people are just not, they're not patient, you know? Okay. I give you that. Um, yeah. I think, I think patience is just kind of the big one because, you know, 
the way things are now, man, with like, you know, there's jazz Instagram and stuff like people are more they're more uh, focused on like uh, recording like a solo uh, and, and getting likes than like anything else. <laughs> I mean, this stuff makes me sound so old, like, yeah, like <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I guess just patience, man, you know, like you're not going to come out of school and be the next, you know, whoever um, you, you really got to put, you, you, I feel like you got to put a different kind of time into what, you know, what you got to do. Like it used to be in the old days, like what you, you came up and you were hired by bands and then you got hired by another band and then you got hired by another band. And then like, like Eddie used to, you know, Eddie got hired by Herbie worked yeah. with Herbie for th three years. And then like, that was a Herbie one broke week gig that he turned into three years. Exactly. Exactly. Famously. And, um, <laughs> you know, after that, you know, our Blakey called. you know, he became a jazz messenger, you know, he worked with Dexter Gordon and, and, I said to him, I was like, well, how'd you get like, how tell me how, you know? And he said, you know, these people just assumed I could play because I played with so-and-so. So you got to be willing to like, get yourself really out there. Like not, not like Instagram out there, like really out there, like go to a session and, 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 and present yourself, you know? So that always like really stuck with me. Um, so I think, yeah, I think patience probably. Okay. But I think no. the thing with social media is that the clubs and everything assume you're going to bring people off your followings in to the door. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's I've tough. really seen that pay off. I know only off the top of my head, three acts that do that well. Mm. Like their social media would bring everyone in. And they're not even big names. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Like, luckily, I don't obsess over that kind of stuff. So I don't think about it. But I could see I could see how someone would. Okay. Well, where do you think jazz will be in 10 years? Where will it be in 10 years? Um, good question. Uh, I like that Fusion's back. And nobody's, like, really talked about it. Because... I Yeah, I, I know. Think, I think... I think that's a good thing. I think like we're just now getting really comfortable with that. Like, you know, jazz, black American music is this huge fucking tent. I mean, it's like you can incorporate so many different styles with it. And I think people are now not being so, um, I don't know, uptight about it. I feel like, you know, from what I've learned is like when, you know, when fusion and, and acoustic jazz, like they like didn't like, it was like a disconnect. Like you didn't, you didn't want to be both. You were either a fusion musician or you were a jazz musician. You were an acoustic musician, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And now you could see guys who have multiple projects that show like, Oh, they play in this setting. They also play in this setting. One of my heroes is Dave Douglas. And, and he's kind of like that. Right. Where he has the electric group, the acoustic group, the string group, you know, the brass group all at the same time. And I, I like that people are showing those different shades of themselves. And I, so I feel like 
I feel like in the in the 2030s, uh, we'll we'll be seeing a lot more of that. A lot more of like the fusion, like the like the true word of, of people fusion. I know who are doing the best right now, not including like Kristen McBride or that, like the other tier are fusion people. Yeah. And they don't even like consider themselves fusion. It's just no. like it's like that's anecdotally what I can say the most accurately well, about the what's going on. Sees like the more smooth, which is another sure. That's a whole other conversation. But yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is. Yes, that is. I like smooth jazz. Judge me. I don't. I don't. I mean, man, I've got those Bob James man, those Bob James records from uh the CTI years. That's like Proto smooth. Woo. I mm. love that stuff, man. Okay. Well, what is your dream project? Oh, my dream project. Yes. I'm just curious. Um, right now, I, I, I just want to keep making music. You know, I think I, I, I like, I, I, I daydream about projects all the time. So right now I've got uh, a, a quintet, a sextet, and a trio and i've got this uh uh this other project debuting this year and and i also run a big band too um i just want like i think about all kinds of stuff and uh what the pandemic taught me is that there's no time like the present to just do it so um i think right now is i'm 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 reaching out to some of the musicians who I really admire and asking to work with them. Uh, and you'd be surprised how approachable your heroes can be. Um, so Dave and, and Eddie are going to be on an album with you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't think Dave will. I'm sure Eddie will. I'll, I'll, I, I had the pleasure of playing with Eddie a couple of times, which is great. And I, and, and I've thought about having him on, uh, a project, but uh, I just did a performance uh, with Abe Burton, mm. and uh, he he uh, was special guesting with my quintet, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, I'm working with Mike Clark uh, next month in January, so I'm really excited to do that. I think like my right now to answer your question, uh, mm -hmm. working with those who who have really inspired me, I I think it's like one of the greatest things to, I just did a gig with Joe Morris, uh, back in October and Nate Woolley, um, not to trigger you, but they are, you know, more avant-garde, uh, musicians, but uh, like Nate is one of my trumpet heroes. And, you know, I just hit him up. I said, look, I got this project. You want to come up? I'll, 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 I got your train ticket. Let's, let's do this. And, and he was super generous and he came up and played and it was an awesome experience. So I think like, Right now, my um, my dream projects are, are to work with like my heroes, basically. Okay. And to keep writing, keep writing, keep playing, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, some things I need to touch on quickly. So just sure, for everyone please. to know, this man has a podcast. He talks about <laughs> local musicians over there. Tell the people the name of it. So the... Uh, the podcast is called Mr. Millennial's Revenge, which is based on my 2019 album of the same name. Uh, I am 38. I am a uh, very proud millennial. And I just have always been kind of obsessed with like 
everyone's hatred of millennials. So I'm like, let's own it. You know, <laughs> let's because I what what you I let enjoy a about talk down to you. Oh no, never. But but what I love about it is like when people are like, oh, kids, you know, millennials these days. And I'm like, you mean nearly 40 year old men and women and adults? Like, what are we talking about? Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I thought it was like a name that kind of stuck out. So I, I, I named the podcast Mr. Millennials Revenge. Uh, we got two seasons on Apple and I talked to local and not local musicians, just like yourself. It's been, like I was saying, it's a real pleasure to be a guest uh, uh, on, a, on a podcast. And uh, I'll be doing season three probably after the holidays. So, uh, you know, check it out on Apple. I better get a call. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, now, I mean, now, obviously. <laughs> and other thing I need to know, what are these other yeah. hobbies you have? Other hobbies I have? Yeah, you mentioned uh, in the beginning. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm like your average dude, I guess. Um, uh I, I don't know. I, <laughs> what are my hobbies? <laughs> I mean, like, we on a date? <laughs> when, um, my hobbies, my hobbies. I like, I, I, I'm a huge fan of art. And uh, I'm, you know, one of the things to help me cope through the pandemic was I started painting. So that's something I've been, uh, actually, uh, my, one of my more, uh, most recent releases that came out this year, uh, I painted the, the album cover. So I'm really, uh, really proud of that. I'm a big hiker. I'm a big sci-fi nerd. Um, I love the Simpsons to the point where it's kind of stupid and ridiculous, but um, yeah, I mean, I love living life, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm open to pretty much everything except skydiving and uh, you know, my bad. You just said you had all these hobbies. So I was just curious, but yeah. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, I, just have, I have interest. I have interest okay. in stuff like, like, like anybody else. Too, you know? oh. Yeah. oh, good, good, good. That's well, a, the one I my, know people out. But yeah, if go. you listen, if you listen to my podcast, uh, half the episodes are literally named after Simpson references, and I'm constantly referencing the Simpsons on that show, and no one ever knows, and it's like my little secret, I guess. Ah, uh, nice. And which album was it that you did the cover for? Uh, Indigo Seven. So, um. Uh, my quintet is also called Indigo 7. We released an EP, I think, in April. Um, I did two records this year, uh, right when things started to get um, a little safer. Because um, I had spent uh, all the downtime either uh, like painting, binge watching, reading, and, uh, and writing tunes. So uh, Indigo 7 is me on trumpet, uh, guitar, keyboards, uh, bass, both electric and acoustic and drums. And um, Indigo 7 is like kind of my, uh, you know, my my M1 Dishi kind of release. So um, I wrote really quick. I wrote my master's thesis on that band. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with those three years of Herbie's career. And, um, and, you know, part of that is from being a student of Eddie's and just loving the music of that band. So that band really, really influences the compositional approach to uh, Indigo 7. So we put out an album uh, back in, yeah, like the spring. And then uh, we we played a couple of gigs. We played the Yale Jazz Festival. Excuse me. Um, I think like in May. And that's up on YouTube. 
and uh and then and then that band had uh Abe Burton play with us uh last November uh November 12th so that was a lot of fun so you know rain um still writing for that group hopefully we'll do another record in 22 as well okay looking forward towards that one well Nick uh tell everyone your social media your website where to find you etc oh sure uh so Nick Maria trumpet Dot com is my website, uh, facebook.com slash Nick Maria music at Nick Maria on Instagram. Um, and then also facebook.com slash NHVJU. Uh, and that's for the New Haven Jazz Underground, which is the organization I was talking about. And um, yeah, I think I think that's it. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Bandcamp. Uh, so it's D-I-M-A-R-I-A, Nick Maria. Okay, and, no problem. Uh, yeah. Well, Nick. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us. Thanks and for having me, man. This was a lot of fun. Likewise. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.